Hi, everyone, and welcome to the News Agent Podcast. I'm Susie Lysett, Content Manager at Goodlord, and today is another energy market update with our resident energy expert and Director of Tenancy Services, Rick Smith. So, hi, Rick. Uh, nice to have you back on the podcast. Great to be here. <laughs> now, obviously, this is becoming a bit of a regular occurrence, and we're not out of the woods yet, I would say, in in with regards to the, the energy crisis. I do think that we'll potentially be able to talk about things a bit more positively in our conversation today, uh, perhaps slightly more so than we have done in the past. That's what I'm anticipating, but you may prove me wrong. But perhaps first for for those listeners out there that haven't listened to it, to our previous podcast and recordings, I think we've had about three of these conversations in the past. If you you could just tell us a bit about you and uh, your background. Sure thing. Uh, Yeah, so uh, my name is Rick. I'm the Director of Tenancy Services here at Goodlord. My background is very much in energy policy, uh, including a degree uh, on the topic. And then I spent quite a bit of time at British Gas actually setting the price of gas and electricity for UK consumers. There are a few price increases and price reductions, which um, uh, have unfortunately my fingerprints on. Um, But then uh, after that, I joined the Join the the moved into the light uh, when I joined Uswitch, uh, the price comparison website where I led very much on the interface between energy suppliers uh, and the Uswitch business, helping get great deals uh, for UK consumers. And that was all at the time when the message of switch and save X hundred pounds uh, was the message being uh, drummed out there. And after Uswitch, uh, I very much joined Goodlord in 2020 uh, and helping bring uh, and improve tenancy services for uh, for our tenants uh, who are moving house, uh, as help and as well as helping uh, our customers, our agent customers, um, make sure that everyone is set up in their homes as they move in. That's and that's me. Fantastic. That was a good summary. Um, now today, I mean, the reason that we're talking about this today is obviously we had the spring budget um, that was yesterday, um, as we're recording it now. There wasn't really in there, there much about the housing market and the rental market, but obviously energy and the cost of energy it does have quite a global impact, um, obviously affects the, the budgets of tenants. And that's why it's something that we, we continue to talk about on these podcasts. Perhaps if you could kick us off really just by talking about what was announced with regards to the energy price guarantee and that support that's, that's available for, for everybody to access. Yeah, so that the headline is that the energy price guarantee is going to stay the same. Now, you might go, oh, so no change then. That's right. Uh, but it effectively means that the government has agreed to continue um, subsidising 26 million uh, energy bills across the country uh, for another three months. Uh, that's important because they were otherwise expected to go up from £2,500 uh, to nearly £3,000. Now, this actually is one of the rare occasions where I get to say that this is a prediction that I made that came true. When we last spoke, Susie, uh, you know, I suggested that we w- we should keep an eye out for a little rabbit in the hat from the, the Chancellor. Now, this rabbit had actually made a little bit of an appearance um, in the previous weeks uh, to where we are today. Uh, but nonetheless, the pressure placed on the government by the likes of Martin Lewis, as well as other consumer groups like Citizens Advice, um, has made it made help make the case uh, to help maintain uh, energy bills uh, for the next three months. That's the that's the sort of headline news. The other bit of the news that is actually welcome is that those on prepayment meters uh, will actually see their energy prices reduce. Now, this is about the fact that energy prices for prepayment customers, those who have to top up with a key or a card uh, or even on an app uh, before they use their energy, uh, have previously had to pay a little bit extra because it is more expensive to service these meters to you know have these keys these cards these um and to fund the, the mechanism of, of getting them topped up and prepayment customers are see that are going to see their energy bills go down by 45 pounds a year now 
that's a modest amount, but it is a very welcome amount uh, for anyone who is otherwise paying uh, that much more than anyone who paid by direct debit. But this does leave the fact that if you pay on receipt of a bill, if you wait for a bill to be sent to you, potentially in the post um, or uh, or by email, uh, that remains the most expensive way uh, of paying uh, your energy bills. And so if you can, you should move to direct debit. Um, and now the statement includes you should move to direct debit or prepayment. How long that uh, cost parity will remain is is to be confirmed, uh, shall we say, uh, but it is definitely a welcome respite for those who do choose to pay uh, in advance of using their energy via a prepay meter. And I think that the budget, um, when they were announcing it yesterday, I think that they commented that, the Chancellor commented that it, it is it does tend to perhaps be people on lower incomes that might be paying those prepay, via prepayment meters. As you say, it's, it's a quite a modest amount, but it is a, a boost in the right area, I suppose. That's right. And whilst we're on the subject of prepayment, um, prepayment meters, of course, hit the news uh, earlier in uh, in Q1 when it became apparent that some energy suppliers were, um, should we say, uh, overreaching uh, and forcing entry to properties in order to fit prepayment meters uh, at addresses or for customers who have not been very good at paying their bills. Now, uh, there are strict rules about how energy suppliers should behave when it comes to uh, forcing entry to, to fit prepayment meters. And some of, some, of, uh, some of you listening may have actually had tenants who've, who've had that happen to them. Nonetheless, Ofgem have now said that they're going to extend the moratorium and the ban on the force fitting of prepayment meters. Um, so that's, that's welcome news. And it's in effect whilst they, whilst they work out um, what rules uh, to put in place that is going to make sure that it's only done uh, under the most suitable uh, of circumstances rather than, um, as it's been reported, under too wide a remit. What do you think about this, the level of support that's now in place? And do you think that it's sufficient to carry through for, for the coming months? Yeah, so I mean, we've got to, we've got to be mindful that here we are uh, in March. Uh, is spring is approaching, the summer is approaching. You know, gas bills should effectively be falling uh, as we use less energy. Not because the price changes, but because we just use less when it's warmer. So actually, like there is a little bit of respite uh, to come. Now, electricity usage doesn't really vary very much for those who heat their home by by gas, um, and so actually, you know, most people will see their their energy bills on a monthly basis, uh, fall as we move into the uh, spring and summer. Great. So actually, we should be looking forwards towards next winter when uh, these energy rebates um, and credits really matter. So if we look at the predictions from uh, energy analysts, Cornwall Insight, uh, they're very much saying that actually, if the government hadn't acted, yes, the energy bills would have gone up come the 1st of April, but they have acted. So that takes us through uh, from uh, April through to the end of June. And so Q3, the expectation is that the mechanism called the energy price guarantee falls away and we move back to a, the price cap mechanism. Fine. Either way, uh, the expectation is that in Q3, um, which is from July to September, uh, the expectation is energy bills would be about £2,100. Uh, and actually, that continues uh, potentially into Q4. But the further out we look, the more, uh, the more it's possible that it can move. And so actually, that is a reduction. You say, well, hey, that's great. That, that's £400 less than, uh, than we're paying today, on average. Great. Sounds, sounds like good news. So energy bill is going to be cheaper next winter, right? Wrong. So £2,100 uh, is £400 less. Great. And actually, that circumstantially uh, lines up with the amount of bill credit uh, that we all received um, over the past six months 
from the government. We all got £400 added to our electricity bills. Uh, and, and so that's welcome. That arrived in 66 or £67 chunks. Some people got it credited directly to their energy account. Some people got it credited back to their bank account. Uh, prepayment customers, some received uh, vouchers in the post that they can then add to their meter, etc. We should all have received that. So actually, this, you know, this is beginning to line up that it's not going to be cheaper. It might be about the same. Uh, so it's a little bit, you know, if you if you were struggling um, with energy bills this winter, um, you know, the expectation is actually that it will be very similar next winter, unless there is further intervention. Uh, and the further intervention is unlikely to look like a everyone gets 400 pounds. And the reason for that is that it's untargeted. Uh, it isn't helping the people most in need. Uh, it isn't helping the people who could afford to pay more. Not everyone wants to pay more necessarily, but could afford to pay more. And so actually the idea is that what we'd really like to see uh, is more help, more than £400, being given to those most in need and those least in need uh, seeing less uh, than that uh, or even no support uh, at all. And and so this is about the idea of helping those uh, most in need. The, it, it's not easy. It is a difficult task to both identify who needs that help uh, as well as to deliver it in, in a timely fashion. Remembering that these are private companies, uh, they don't have necessarily have access uh, to the government databases of who is in receipt of benefits um, or, or any other kind of benefit or even what their income is. And so as a result, these private companies are very much subjected to what can they, uh, what can they deduce and what can they identify themselves or the information they can be given by the government. But it is not straightforward. It is a difficult task. Um, and I guess from what you're saying as well, it isn't really a time for agents and landlords to kind of rest on their laurels and, and expect that that part of the, the, the costs that their tenants are paying is just going to disappear now that it's just all going to go back to normal. It is something that agents and landlords are going to have to continue considering and uh, into the into the future from what you said. That's absolutely right. And, and you know, the, the question of when do we go back to the land of switch and save, um, you know, in terms of the return of the competitive energy market, um, it, it's likely that we're still quite some months off. It could very well be a Q3, Q4 type time when uh, that incentive to switch uh, and to, to reduce your bills by, by accessing a, a cheaper price um, is, is possible to return. There are a number of moving uh, moving. Uh, pieces that mean that 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 isn't necessarily guaranteed um, later this year, um, but we we will soon see um, how that pans out. And would you have any aside from the switching side of things? Would you have any particular advice to give to agents and landlords that obviously are looking to to introduce perhaps a bit of stability into their into their planning over the coming months? You know, what what could they be doing either differently, or what can they continue doing um, over the over the year, especially going into the summer? You know, costs are going to be dipping um, naturally because of the season, and then into into the winter. How can they plan ahead for these um, for these fluctuations? Yeah, so um, so if you're if you if you yourself are paying the the energy bills for your tenants because you're offering a bills inclusive type uh, type renting arrangement, uh, then make sure you're paying by direct debit. Uh, that's key thing. But also, uh, you know, insulate insulate. You know, you should be looking to how you can protect yourself from future price spikes or or even just reduce the bill overall um, by uh, looking to insulate the properties as well as as a re- gentle reminder uh, of the in, the approaching deadline of circa 2025 uh, for EPC um, level C being the minimum standard. Uh, so, you know, do watch out. Uh, so if you are looking for stability. Um, then insulation is the way forwards, uh, be it loft insulation, double glazing. Um, these are all things that uh, are 
options that you should be planning into the next uh, opportunity you've got to um, deliver any improvements to your to your properties. On that point, there was actually um, some research that was in the news this morning with uh, Legal in General and their surveying team. It seems that double glazing was the most popular energy saving measure. I think it was around 86% of the services that the, the, the team provides is is double glazing. Um, and then it looks like wall insulation. There were 31% of surveyors said that they that they worked on that. Do you think that double glazing, with that being perhaps the most popular, do you think, is there a reason for that? Is that the most energy efficient and cost effective is um are you surprised by that or would you would you have put something else as your number one no i'm I'm not i'm not terribly surprised by that uh there are still a large number of properties with single glazing in in fact um uh i live in a house with uh with sash windows uh and they are the original single glazed uh windows but i have secondary glazing um as a as a way of trying to 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 mitigate that um it's not surprising that, that double glazing is is up there but i would also suggest you know there is double glazing but there is also triple glazing if we look at the houses that are most highly performant uh, we look to countries like Germany uh, and Scandinavia, uh, and they are routinely installing triple glazing. Now, double glazing is great when replacing single glazed uh, windows, not just because there's more glass, but because they tend to be more airtight. And so it's often that sealing of the air means that um, there is no longer those drafts. The cold air is not literally coming into the house and replacing the nice warm air, which gets pushed out the other side of the house. And so it's that double feature of making actually the surfaces and letting uh, less heat escape, as well as preventing the cold air from coming in and pushing out the warm air. So not not a surprise. But with, with double glazing does come a change in the ventilation of a property. Uh, and so it's also important to make sure that uh, the appropriate level of ventilation is included. Trickle vents are on those windows, uh, as well as extractor fans in kitchens and bathrooms, etc. Uh, is all part of making sure that we make sure that our tenants have nice warm homes, but also nice healthy homes with the appropriate level of humidity. And that's obviously a very important point, particularly at the minute with issues with damp and mould in, in both social and private housing as well. I think that the government's obviously looking at cracking down slightly on that aspect and, and giving out better guidance really on what landlords can be doing, what tenants can be doing, because obviously there is a bit of a balance there. It isn't just making sure that there's, I don't know, better ventilation within a property. It's making sure that tenants are using that ventilation to make sure the conditions are, are right to not have damp and mould and things like that. So, right. um, yeah, it's uh, one of those ones, I think, that that would have multiple benefits and sort of both the energy efficiency side as well as that standard of living that the government's pushing for too. So, yeah, quite an important topic, that one. And obviously, on the again looking at this, looking at this particular report, there are, there's mention of solar panels, heat pumps, uh, smart energy meters, and so on. Uh, looking at kind of renewable energy, looking at different alternative sources of energy, and obviously in the budget yesterday there was a bit of a focus on new energies, potentially looking at the future of the energy market for the UK and trying to create a bit more stability there uh, with carbon capture, looking at nuclear energy as well. What, what are your thoughts on that? What are your what are your comments about that? Do you think those are the right routes to go down to create more stability in the market to avoid this kind of situation that we find ourselves in now? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're all potentially sort of aware of the of the market dynamics and economics of of rental properties and you know if you make the market more attractive um maybe because of higher rents or or lower barriers to entry um then in theory there should be there should be more uh, investors in that space and that is what the government is trying to do but on a somewhat grander scale when it comes to nuclear and carbon capture so on the nuclear side of things they're, they're effectively saying that they're going to classify which is a paperwork exercise um the energy that is produced uh, from nuclear power stations um, as in effect green energy 
which is which which sort of means that that then opens up the door uh, to more uh, more private money who want to invest in in green energy and begin to access um, the benefits and potentially the tax breaks uh, and uh, investment vehicles uh, that come with that classification. So it's the idea of trying to open up and make a, make a bit of a market more attractive. The other thing that that is you know. It's a, it's a little bit of a running joke uh, with those that follow these things. The carbon capture and storage uh, allocation of you know twenty billion pounds uh, over twenty years uh, is you know it's it's the same thing that keeps getting announced over and over again uh, for at least the past ten years. Another billion pounds has been announced for carbon capture and storage, but we are not actually running any commercial carbon capture and storage anywhere. So let's just talk a little bit about what that is. Carbon capture and storage is the idea that you could still keep burning coal, you could still keep burning gas uh, in a big power station. But what you do is you fit a big vacuum cleaner on the top of it and you take that carbon dioxide uh, and then you pump it and you capture it. That's the carbon and that's it being captured. And then you've got to pipe it to somewhere and store it. And you sort of go, oh, well, where are we going to store it? We've been previously storing it in the atmosphere. Um, the idea is actually to store it underground, where we would otherwise have been pumping gas uh, from. You sort of go, okay, well, that sounds okay. But the reality is that this capturing and storage is actually very energy intensive. So it takes quite a bit of energy to, to run the machines that do this. And then you've also got to have some confidence that the storage is going to remain stored uh, and not escape. Otherwise, you've kind of defeated the whole object. And so it is a technology. It is a, it is a mitigation technology. It is one that is, we're likely to have available to us at a time when most of our energy is generated from renewables, which includes nuclear. Then there is likely to be the need to burn small amounts of, of gas for electricity generation. And what we would like to do is to be able to capture it. So it's it's trying to invest in a piece of technology which is seen as a important part of the future. But again, it never really comes to fruition. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna directly compare it to fusion energy, um, which uh which has always been 20 years away. Maybe carbon capture and storage will be you know 20 years away as well. Okay, well, that, that's great. I mean, so we've discussed that, therefore, on the supply side, that kind of future looking perspective, really, as to what the government's doing to kind of create a bit more security on the supply side. What about demand? Because obviously, demand is quite high for energy. What could we be doing in, in terms of reducing that level of demand? So this is where we start looking at energy efficiency. And in fact, we've talked before uh, about my enthusiasm for more uh, energy efficiency to be rolled out across the country. And, and actually, there are a couple of things that are that are coming out. So yes, there's the EPC regulations coming in and and, and encouraging uh, EPC level C. Uh, make do check your EPC, see whether that is on your agenda. Um, but uh, also, uh, the government, the day after the budget, uh, have actually just announced the Energy Efficiency Task Force. You say, oh, okay, well, that sounds that sounds grand. That sounds uh, sounds amazing. And and fundamentally, what they're trying to do is they're trying to reduce the UK's energy demand uh, by fifteen percent uh, by twenty thirty, and that's comparing uh, to energy use levels from twenty twenty one. And this is households, businesses, the whole uh, UK. Um, and so that's why, uh, you know, it's really important that we get things right. Now, that's a really positive move from the government. Like, yes, you know, we've got the intention. But actually what they've done is they've basically said, Avengers assemble uh, and now let's come up with some ideas. Like, they're not starting with ideas, which actually in, in instances like this can be seen as a good thing. They're not picking winners. They're not saying 
this is the solution for everybody. They're actually saying, actually, let's take an uh, informed, considered view and are inviting industry experts, people who are doing this on the ground all day, every day, uh, to contribute uh, to that task force. So that's, that's a good move, um, but it's not going to solve anything for, for next winter. And so we talked about the supply, getting, you know, getting uh, electricity and gas um, available to the UK. Now, we sorted out this winter, winter 22. Um, win- winter 23 uh, is going to be the next challenge. And it is very much dependent upon uh, what other countries are doing, what we do in order to source the gas, as well as reduce our demand for that gas. That makes complete sense. And I, I think that, as you say, it's good that they are taking on board different views. And I do think that there are obviously other countries and things that, that have taken the right approach. I think you've mentioned previously that Germany, for example, they um, they are doing some good things there. And I think that that could almost help us out if we're looking at the supply that we need over the winter. If uh, if they don't have the same levels of supply, then that's going to help us out, which is uh, which is a good thing, too. That's right. And, and, you know, we the UK sometimes falls into this British exceptionalism, this idea that uh, we are somehow unique and different and doing what other people do must therefore be wrong. And quite the opposite. This is very much a global pan-European uh, effort um, in order to drive down the, the dependence upon Russian gas and imported gas. And that's what we all need to be sharing good ideas about um, and pulling together on. Um, and as you say, there are obviously these EPC changes on the horizon, which which landlords agents are going to have to get stuck into and look for different solutions um, if their properties need to need to be upgraded to become more energy efficient. I know that on our on our news agent site, we do have a couple of free resources, uh, one for tenants outlining some of the financial support that, that they can get to help with their energy bills, but another one for landlords that are potentially looking for different sources of finance for boosting their energy efficiency of their properties. So but I'll put, pop the links for those into, into our show notes just to give some some ideas there, because it's definitely something that landlords obviously need to be considering now. That's that's for sure. And, and, yeah, and don't forget, there are grants out there uh, available to help uh, improve the EPC rating of properties. Now, if we just look at you know one example, for instance, yes, there's Eco, uh, Eco 2, Eco 4, now which is being rolled out by energy suppliers. Um, but there is also the Warmer Homes grants uh, that are out there available for you know five to £25,000 uh, to help improve very poor energy efficiency rating property, EF and G, limited amounts for B-rated properties. Um, but it is dependent upon the occupiers of the property. Tenants is what we're, what we're talking about here. Uh, and so if their household income is low or means tested, we're talking about below £30,000 or in some areas below £20,000, then you can access or apply uh, to the warmer homes funds in order to get that, get that money towards these energy efficiency improvements. Uh, it's definitely worth searching for warmer homes on Google and warmer homes, for instance, London uh, is administered by the mayor of London uh, and the London Assembly. So there is there are different schemes. They're being administered locally, uh, but there is some money available. It's not an enormous amount, um, some to help push forwards the energy efficiency of our home. Well, I think that there are some some good ideas there and some I, I can't say it's necessarily been the entirely positive conversation that I, I anticipated at the beginning of the podcast, but it, it does look like the government is taking steps to look at the supply and then look at the reducing of demand of and creating more energy efficiency in properties. There are these different financial schemes that landlords can start to look into. You know, every little helps in that sense. So I think that uh, we're starting to move 
perhaps in the right direction. Obviously, it's not all going to uh, sort itself out overnight. And we do have next winter uh, to consider and, and make sure that we have things in place. But hopefully the energy crisis having been ongoing for a little while now will perhaps be better prepared to, to deal with that. And uh, landlords and, and agents will be able to have those conversations with their tenants appropriately um, when the time comes. That's right. And yeah, there are things to be optimistic about. Energy prices are falling. Um, there is the view that uh, oil prices are also falling. Um, so a, a bit of respite from the cost of living doesn't mean prices are going to go in reverse. Um, but that that rate of inflation um, is hopefully softening uh, now with these with these lower prices feeding through. There we go. That's that's the positive ending that I was looking for. <laughs> and I'm so thanks ever so much, Rick, um, for speaking with me again today. It's been uh, interesting as always. My pleasure.